Our uh, scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 32, verses 3 through 12, and verses 22 through 24. So hear now the word of the Lord. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus shall you say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I've sinned to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, the flocks and herds and camels, into two camps, thinking if Esau, Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So that same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, well, let me add a good morning to you as well. My name is, is Tim, and I serve as one of the pastors uh, here. And, and we're glad to have you with us this morning. And just a, a quick reminder, those of you who were not here uh, last week, last week we gave just a significant update both on our long-term home at Shawnee Mission Parkway in Flum, the building we're buying and purchasing as well as our temporary home in the meantime until that day. And, and so uh, just our, we have four weeks left meeting in this location. Uh, I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go back, listen to the podcast. We kind of put all the details in, that, uh, in there to kind of let you know. And, uh, and so if you don't know those, didn't get our email, uh, go to the podcast, listen, and we'll continue to give you updates. But remember, September 8th, we'll begin meeting at the Lenexa Conference Center at 87th and 435. And if if that's new or like, you know, want to have more, the podcast from last Sunday is, is the place to go. So with that, let me, let me pray for us and then jump into this, this story. Let's pray. Father, we, we open your uh, scriptures every week to have you speak into our life as who we are as, as a church, that your, your word would direct and encourage and lead us in all that we think, all that we say, all that we do. And so, Spirit, take the words of the, the, the Scriptures and make them alive in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, I was in Chicago on vacation with, with my family, and uh, we stay, when we go up there, we typically stay with my sister and my brother-in-law uh, in Wicker, Wicker Park. And uh, at my sister's house, they have this, this, like at least to me, elaborate security system. It's probably not that elaborate, uh, but where they have uh, Nest uh, cameras throughout the, their house, they have like a little security system that you have to un, you know, do the code and you get in and all that. And that's, I don't have a security system. Uh, and, and so it's like, I got to figure out how to navigate that. So they left a couple days before we left, which meant we would have to be the ones who like actually 
turned off the security system. And so we, uh, one, one of the times I was the first one back to the house, and I think I know the code. I think I know how to, to work the system. But I, apparently I didn't because I put in the code I thought was right, pressed the buttons, and then the alarm went off. And suddenly there's a really loud, loud going or a really loud alarm going off in my sister's place. And so I pull out my phone to call my sister to let her know what's going on. And then the alarm, it turns off, and the green light, which shows everything's okay, everything's turned off, it popped on. So I just texted my sister, hey, I don't know if you know this, the alarm just went off. It was just your nephews and me breaking into your house. We're all good. And she texted me back, oh, it's okay, we watched from our phone. Because they have Nest cameras, which was like both encouraging and somewhat creepy. Right, the next morning when I was getting up for a run, I was like putting my, uh, my socks and running shoes on. I'm like, I'm staring at a Nest camera like, am I looking at my brother-in-law right now? Is he, are we watching each other, but we don't know it. Uh, and that's so I, that, all that, this experience happens. And this week I'm reading a book by a theologian named Andrew Root. And he says that we have done with our private spiritual lives what my sister has done with her house. We have just elaborate security systems, a, a fence built up to prevent people from getting into our inner lives. Here's what he writes. Here's what he means. It's like a big house in an expensive neighborhood. Our inner lives are expansive but protected. They have curb appeal but are not open to visitors. Now what he says is we live in a day and age that some call it expressive individualism, some call it the age of authenticity, but the, the idea is essentially who I am is my own desires and who I want to be, and that's the most important thing, and no one should question that, no one should challenge that, no one should speak against that. And what, what Rude is saying, what we've done is in doing, having that as like our highest good, we've created a reality where spiritually no one's allowed in. And, we, and if anyone tries to get in, Alarm systems go off immediately. It's why it is incredibly difficult for anyone to challenge our politics, our theology, the way we're living, the choices we're making, the way we're thinking. The moment someone does, it's not just someone with a different view of the world or someone who sees the world differently or someone with a different perspective. No, it's an intruder. And our alarm system goes off and we want them out. This is why we live in a culture that, that cannot disagree with one another anymore. Two people with two different views of the world can't get together. The reason why we can't do that is because if your inner life is protected and someone with a different view of the world comes into your house, we don't welcome them in hospitality. They've set our alarm off. We want them out. And this creates a problem, one, for just community. Like to begin, like how do you have community when someone can't challenge you in any way, in any meaningful way? But more important, and that's another sermon, but the the real problem is not not so much for community, but it's what happens when God intrudes? What happens when the person who is being invasive, who set off your alarm, is, is, is God? And if God intruded into your life in a meaningful way, what would you do? Listen, respond, welcome him in, or get him out. Ultimately, that's, that's actually what Genesis 32, the story, is, is about. God is going to 
be incredibly intrusive, intrusive into Jacob's life, force his way in, set off all the alarm bells Jacob has. And that moment in that encounter is so instructive for our own day and age. And so what I'm going to do, I'm gonna, we're going to tell the story, and I want to do it in four headings, kind of four, four frames. Uh, the man, the fight, the name, and the blessing. The story's about a man, a name, or a man, a fight, a name, and a blessing. And so, so first, the man. Now, the verses I read are really, they're actually, they're sort of the lead into the, the story we're actually going to camp in, which is verses 22 and 32 of Genesis chapter 32. And, and this is sort of the culmination of the story of Jacob, his life. And so we've been telling the story of Jacob over the last few weeks. And, and last week, even though it was primarily about sort of our building announcement where we're headed as a church, uh, sort of packed in the center of that was the story of, of Jacob coming to this man Laban, his house, and, and working really hard for Laban, do, creating a lot of wealth for himself. Uh, he ends up marrying two of Laban's daughters. I realize that creates all kinds of problems. I talked about it last week. Go listen to the podcast if that's like two women. Go listen to last week. Uh, but he, he, he has a lot of success, essentially. And he, uh, he gets enormous wealth uh, at Laban's house, so much so that his wealth and his presence and his family becomes an actual threat to Laban. And Laban starts to threaten Jacob. And things get to a point where it's not safe for Jacob anymore, which raises the question, okay, well, where will Jacob go? Because if you remember back to the beginning of this series, or at least the part of Jacob's life, the reason Jacob had to end up at Laban, this guy who's now threatening his life because of his wealth and success, the reason Jacob had to get there in the first place is because Jacob's life, like, Jacob's life begins by lying to his, his father, deceiving his father, and stealing a blessing from his brother Esau. And the result is that Esau, his brother, wants to kill him, and Isaac, his father, is, is angry at him. So Jacob has to run for his life. Now he's run to Laban. He's had enormous success in his life. He's wealthy. He's got a ton of things. But now La he can't stay with Laban anymore. So he runs. He's on the run again. And the question is, where will he go? And his, he's decided he's going back to his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him. And so what happens is Jacob is on his way back to Esau, and he doesn't just want to show up at Esau's doorstep, you know, hey, remember me, like the guy who kind of stole everything from you? Uh, he's, he sends a servant out ahead of him to, to give a message to Esau and to say to Esau, essentially, Esau, I am loaded. I got a lot of money, right? And for us, it's donkey, servant, you know, for us, it's not like, but what he's saying is I have a lot of money, Esau. If I need to buy you off, I can and so Esau responds in verse 6, where or actually uh, Jacob's sins messenger says, I got lots of money, right? Money talks. And Esau uh, sends the messengers back. And the messengers, they return to Jacob saying this, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Now, uh, imagine you have a mortal enemy. You stole basically everything you could from them. And the last time you saw them, they told you, I'm going to kill you. And then you send them money, like you try to send them a lot of money, and they send, you back, they send back the money, and they're coming with 400 men. Your assumption is going to be that, like, that person's coming to kill me, which is Jacob's response. So the verses I read for us, uh, first Jacob prays to God. It's actually a very good prayer, and I wish we had time to go into it. We don't. It's a really good prayer. And then he divides his, all his possessions into two camps. 
And the reason he does that is his hope is if Jacob or if Esau with his 400 men attacks camp one, someone from camp one can run to camp two and say, run for your life. Jacob, Esau's come to kill us. Run, go. And so that's what's happening in Genesis 32 is, is Jacob has split his two, his, his, all, everything he owns, his family in two, and he's waiting for Esau and his 400 men to come kill him. So not surprisingly, Jacob can't sleep. And he gets up in the middle of the night and he crosses the Jabbok River. And the Jabbok River, it's a place with, with many canyons, many places to be alone, to hide and to think. And, and Jacob goes there probably to pray, to, to think, to plan. And while he's among these canyons in the middle of the night, he gets, he gets attacked by a man. A man attacks him and knocks him down, and we're told they wrestle all night long. And immediately we should be asking what Jacob would be asking, which is, who just attacked me? Who is this? Who's the man? And he doesn't know. Later he'll ask for the man's name. He doesn't know, but here's what we're told happens in the fight. Uh, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. This moment doesn't totally inform us who it is that Jacob's wrestling with, but it does give us an enormous clue. Because we're told the man who's attacked Jacob in the middle of the night, when he, like, you know, he thinks he's about to die, and now he's got another problem on his hand, we're told that this man touches Jacob's hip and his hip is thrown out of socket. And the reason why that's an incredibly informative moment is because, you know, his hip's not thrown out of socket because they're fighting really violently or because the man, like, you know, pulled a WWE move on him and threw him down, like, then his hip's out of socket. No, the man touched his hip and the, the Hebrews there just, he laid a finger on his hip. He tapped him. It was a touch. And the touch uh, dislocated Jacob's hip and he would limp for the rest of his life because of this. Which means that it's clear this man who touched Jacob's hip, so hip socket is a, some kind of supernatural being. A, a man with supernatural power. Which means, so here's the best case scenario of what's happened to Jacob. Is that he is convinced he's going to die. He's terrified. He's alone. And God sends a supernatural being to knock him down, attack him, and dislocate his hip. Which I don't, like, I don't, I've not seen a Facebook meme yet where, you know, it's uh, when your life is down and things are rough, God will attack you and throw your hip out of socket. But that's, that's what's happened here. Jacob has prayed for help and deliverance and protection, and God has sent someone to attack him. Why? We'll get there. But first, I want to ask you... Uh, if God this, did this to you, what would you, what would you do? Would you run away or do what Jacob does and fight back? This is why I started this sermon the way I did, is that we, we build our inner lives with this elaborate protection scheme, with nest cameras around, with security systems, so that if anyone comes in to challenge who we are, what we're doing, what our lives are, the alarm goes off. And we can get them out. And so just, if, if you think that's a tough, 
a tough thing for you to not like just could someone you love look at your budget and challenge the way you're spending money or what was the the what was your response the last time someone meaningfully challenged your theology or someone meaningfully challenged your politics what was the last time someone said what you did like that was wrong were those conversations more like Someone who, like, you invited into your, to your living room to sit on the couch and say, speaking to my life, help me see. Maybe I'm missing something. Help me see. Or were they more like an alarm system had been tripped, and now there's a fight to get them out because they are, they are an intruder. They're not welcome. See, we live in a culture where we cannot disagree with one another anymore. Disagreement triggers our security systems and threatens us. And so we want people who challenge our theology, politics, way of living, we want them out. And we see what's doing in our own culture, right? We're just separating ourselves off to our own enclaves where no one can challenge us. No, everyone agrees with us already. And here you have this story where Jacob could not be more vulnerable. He could not be in more of a dire situation. And God shows up right through this man and says, we have some things to talk about. And knocks him down and they wrestle all night long. That's the man. That's where the story starts, the man. Second, the, the fight. And, and so I use the word fight intentionally. Because I think when, like when I hear, hear the word wrestling, and I already, talk, I already mentioned this, like I, my mind goes to WWE, which, right, which is not serious in any way, shape, or form. Or I think of you know, wrestling matches, like wrestling in, in high school. And it's like that's, that's sort of a, a game, a sport. That's not what's going on here. Jacob, it's the middle of the night. He's in the middle of nowhere. And someone like, you know, gets a running start and attacks him, knocks him down. This is a fight that's going on. Here, and, and, and what's really interesting to me is, it's, so this, this man can touch Jacob's hip and throw his hip out of socket, and yet we're told Jacob wrestled him all night, and this man could not prevail against Jacob. Which raises the question, like, well, if he can just touch his hip and throw it out of socket, why didn't he touch his head, right? Just knock him out. Like, why, why, how can Jacob, you know, fight to a tie, essentially? And there's two things that are going on. It's, it's a tie, but it's not really a tie. The first is that, so this is a supernatural being, and it's clear this being is not fighting Jacob with all of his strength. And think of it like this. I have three sons, and it's, you know, at least once a week at some points, probably when I'm napping, one of my sons will go to the other end of the room, will get a full head of steam, and then run at me and attack me and jump on me. And typically, this is nap time for me when this is happening, and they'll, they'll just attack me, and we'll, they want to wrestle, right? We'll start to wrestle. And obviously, I've never in my life said, I'm a 36-year-old man. I'm going to show you what wrestling's like. And I threw my you know, entire fi- fighting capabilities, which aren't much, to be honest. But the, at least against a five-year-old, I'd win, right? I'd you know, throw my full weight. On, I don't do that. Right? I fight. I, I sort of condescend to them. We wrestle at a level that's appropriate for them so that I don't crush them. And that's what's happening What's happening here is the supernatural being is wrestling with Jacob in a way that's condescending to him, that's meeting him at his level, which is why if there's a part of you that's just like this dissonance, like God attacks Jacob at his weakest, most vulnerable moment, how could, like, why would a God do that? At the very least, we see it's not just to, like, crush him. He could, God, this, this supernatural being could crush Jacob. He's not. There's something else going on here. And the other, the other thing we, we see, I think that's important for us, not just that the supernatural being is not fighting with full force, uh, but Jacob is. Jacob is fighting with everything in him. Um, and here's what happens, happens next. All right, so Jacob, he's, he's wrestling. The man uh, doesn't prevail over him. And then the man says to Jacob, let me go for the day has broken. 
But Jacob said, I will not go. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man, he says to Jacob, the sun is coming up. You better let me go. And this, it's a warning. Don't let, you do not want to be here with me when the sun comes up. It's essentially what the man is, is saying. And commentators point out this is probably the moment when Jacob would have understood who he's wrestling with. Which is not a supernatural being. It's not an angel or a demon. It is, it is God himself. Which is why if you know this story in, for, in folklore, and, and Jacob will say in a moment, I wrestled with God. Because in the, in the Hebrew Bible, there's this idea. If you look on God, if you see God, you die. Another reason why I think it's clear that Jacob's wrestling with, with God is, is later, Jacob will ask the man, what's your name? And the man's response is, why do you ask me my name? Which in the Hebrew is actually, what the man is saying is, you know who I am. You don't need to ask me who my name is. You already know who I am. So Jacob, he's wrestling with God. And so just to pause this for a minute, because this, this should shake some theological categories in all of us. At Jacob's most vulnerable moment, he thinks his brother's coming to kill him. He thinks his, his, his children, uh, his family are in danger. And God attacks him, knocks him down, and wrestles with him all night. And if that, like, if that shakes your, your th- you know, if that's like, why would you ever want to be a part of a God who would do this? Well, apparently Jacob. Because Jacob's response to this moment isn't, how dare you, God? It's, it's, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And you think about this for a minute. Like Jacob's entire story, his entire narrative, it's about the blessing. And his narrative starts because his father loved his other brother more than him, Esau. He loved Esau more than him, which means Jacob grew up with a father who never showed him the devotion, the affection, the love that he, he, he wanted. And Jacob goes to such great lengths to get the blessing, and he tries to get it, and uh, and, and he lies to his father in order to get it. And now here he is with God, and it's as if Jacob, for the, like he gets it, that if he holds on to God and doesn't get the blessing, he dies. Or God gives him the blessing. But for Jacob, there's no other option. Right? It's either, God, if you don't give me the blessing, I'm dead anyway. So I'm holding on. Because life itself does not come from anything but your blessing over me. And so he said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. As I, as I bring that into our own day, that you and I, like we have two ways you and I can approach God. One is to approach Him trying to conquer Him, to bring Him in line with you, right? To keep your security system well in place. God in no way will meaningfully challenge the way you're living, your life, your trajectory. You'll let God in, but only on your terms and only under very specific circumstances. I think the best way to illustrate this for me is it was about two weeks ago, uh, maybe a week ago, it was my three-year-old son, Abel. Uh, he was sitting in the back of our car, and all of a sudden he just pipes out. He says, uh, I know God, which we, yeah, we believe that. We believe three-year-olds know God here. It's like, that's not, it's like yeah, buddy, good. Uh, the next thing he said had a little bit of it. Uh, it's not great theologically. The next thing he pipes up with is, yeah, God, God wears white T-shirt and a flip-flops. And we're just like, what? That's, that feels very random. Until I turned around and saw that Abel was wearing a white T-shirt and flip-flops. And it's very clear, like his image of God is, you know, God's a lot like I am, like a lot like me, right? which is how, uh, that's actually Andrew Root's point when he says we build our inner lives up with this massive security system, we end up with a God that's just like us, right? We recreate him into our image. In, in no meaningful way has God challenged our theology or our politics 
or our sin, what we're doing, our living. That's one way to approach God. And I would say, you know, Andrew Root's point is that's not a problem for people outside the church. It's a problem for all of us. We live in a culture that continually says, you do you. You be your own self. Do your own thing. And that works its way into the way we live, so much so that it's really hard to have anyone speak into our lives and challenge us, push against us, say, I don't know that you see that right, without our alarm systems going off. And that's one way to approach God. The other way to approach God, uh, you, can, so you can approach God trying to conquer him, or you can approach God expecting to lose. Uh, Ronald Rawheiser, in his book, Sacred Fire, he tells the story of, of a young man who goes to an older monk and tells him, basically, like, life, like being a Christian, life with God is really difficult. Is, it like, is, is there another way, right? Is this right? And the monk responds, well, you want an easier way, a more agreeable way? And the, the young man responds to the monk, no, just a, a human way, a more human way, right? A way with less suffering. And the monk responds, he says this, The only way with God, the only way of God is to ascend, to climb a series of steps from the full stomach to hunger, from slake throat to thirst, from joy to suffering. God sits at the summit of hunger, thirst, and suffering. The devil sits at the summit of the comfortable life. Choose. So the young man asks, do you still wrestle with the devil? The monk says, no, I wrestle with God. I mean, some like you wrestle with God. What is it like? Do you hope to wrestle with God and, and defeat Him? And the monk says, "No, I hope to lose my child." I think that's a really good retelling of what's happening here with Jacob. Jacob intends to lose. The one thing he wants is God, the true blessing, the thing Jacob has been trying to get all of his life. He now sees it, the only place he can get it is God. And so, the, like, are you trying to conquer God, or do you hope to lose to him? Like, is God looking more and more like you over time, your own interests, your own thinking, your own feeling, your own way of being, or are you beginning to look more and more like him? I think here's the best way to know that. The best way to know, like, diagnose, am I, am I more trying to conquer God, or am I trying to lose to him, is it's just to, like, if you lost to God, if all you had was that you knew God. And that's it, which is Jacob's moment here. Remember, he sent all of his wealth over. He doesn't know if Esau's going to attack it. He's alone again. All he has is God, and he's saying, I'm not letting go of this. I will not let go. If all you had was God, would that be enough? If all you had was the blessing from God, would you have everything you needed? And I think the best way to even diagnose that, you know, is I think we all say, well, yeah, I think the one thing I want. Well, the best way to diagnose that is, is to ask the question, like, how honestly can you pray the Psalms? Now, that may sound like a weird left turn. Here's what I mean. A few, a few years ago, I started praying. So, you know, I just, like, prayer life was like, how do I grow in this? And so everyone said, go to the Psalms. So I went to the Psalms. What I found was it was really hard for me to read the Psalms and then pray them because they were, uh, they just were very different than how I prayed. But even more than that, there was an honesty there that was like, can I say this? Like, can I pray this? So here are a few examples. Like, can I actually pray these things? Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and, have, and be sad all day long? Or Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? 
Where are you when I need you? See, what I, what I have language for now that I didn't then is what the Psalms are. They are people who are praying, who understand the only thing in life worth having is God himself. Which is why when their life derails and falls apart, they come to God praying from this spirit of, if God, if I don't have you, I've got nothing. So where are you? What are you doing? You, can't, you, can't, like, you cannot abandon me. If you abandon me, I don't have anything. I don't have a backup plan. I have nothing else. Right, which is the same moment Jacob is sitting in here, which is he's grabbing onto the heel of God, and God's listen, if the sun comes up, you die. And Jacob's like, I'm already dead. Like, I, if I don't have you, I'm dead. Right? Bless me, because if I don't have that, I'm dead anyway, so I'm not letting go. That's what this story is about. And the only way like you can ever begin to know God in that way, you can pray that honesty, honestly, is if you see and you understand that like, that's all, he is all you have. I don't need a security system. I don't need to build protections against, I, he needs to come in because if I don't have him, I have nothing. That's, what, that's the moment Jacob has gotten to with the fight. So the man's, the man's God. Uh, the fight is, okay, God, if I don't have you, um, I've got nothing. Thirdly, what happens next in the story becomes about the name. Verse 27. So Jacob said to him, or God said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then God said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. There's so much here, and, and one thing that's important that probably is lost in our culture, we, we name people because we like it or it's someone you know, above us or ancestor was named that way. Um, in the Hebrew Bible, a name was given to confer identity, right? So a name didn't, it wasn't just a, a physical description. It was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was actually like, that's your identity. And so when God says to Jacob, what is your name? He's not like, what, what should I call you? Like, what's your name? God knows his name. When he says, what's your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. Jacob in Hebrew means, it means heel grabber. It means deceiver. It means schemer. What, he's, what, Jacob is, what God is asking of Jacob in this moment is confession, Jacob, who are you? What have you been doing all your life? And when Jacob says, uh, Jacob, he's, what he's saying is, I, I've been lying all my life. I've been deceiving all my life. I've been scheming. I've been using other people for my own ends. It's, it's a moment of confession. And that's what's happening here. And we all, we all have this moment or the opportunity of this moment. The moments where we have a moment to confess, right, where someone brings, or especially God, brings something to us, and it's a moment to name who we are, like, who, this is what I've done, this is who I am. And those are the moments when we decide, do we, do we let the alarm system go off and kick out that moment, or do we let it fully in and acknowledge what is broken, what is wrong, what is off in us, that when someone comes to you with something you've done that's hurt them, that's wrong, that's, that's disappointed them. Or when you're reading scripture and it's clear before God, there's something there that's not right. What do you do? And this is like this is so hard, right? There's, there is, it is so hard just to say I was wrong. And especially in a culture where expressive individualism, right? Me do like uh, you know, be yourself. That this may be the hardest culture to. And the, the classic word here is repent. This is the hardest culture to do it in. And the reality is God is going to do it to us because we're all broken in some way, shape, or form. And it's, it is so easy in those moments, for me in particular, to want to run away. 
to not want to say, I'm Jacob. This is what I've done. This is who I am, right? This is, this is my, my mistake to confess, to repent. And I think the backdrop for many of us, like, why, like, why would God do this, Jacob? Why, why does God require this of us to own our faults, to repent of sin? Because I mean, not just like the question why, but also like this, if I had to pick, like paint a picture of God that just would not sell any books in our culture, like this is the story I would pick, right? This God knocks you down when you're vulnerable, attacks you. He wrestles with you and he expects to conquer you and, 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 lead, and put you into submission. This God sees what's broken in me and us and makes us name it, right? Not just say, let's just forget about it. No, you have to name it. I'm Jacob. And this God refuses to leave us as we are, right? He, when he sees that this is Jacob, he doesn't just say, it's all, it's all good, move on. No, he's, we're going we're gonna to talk about this, Jacob. We're going to work through this. And I think one of the reasons that makes, you know, aside from our own cultural moment, one of the things that makes, at least for me, repentance so difficult to say, right, I'm, I'm Jacob, to name my own faults is two reasons. One is, is shame, and the other is I don't want to be defined by my worst moments. So think about both those, shame first. There, I don't know if, if you're familiar with the story of Justine Sacco, who... A few years ago, she had sort of an off-color tweet that was meant to be in humor, but it was, it was not received well. She had 170 followers, basically an unknown person in the world. She tweeted, she tweeted out, uh, out, out this. She said, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. And her intention with that, with that joke was to say, like, you know, people from the West typically have a privilege that people in South, America don't, South Africa don't have. That's what sort of she was trying to, to poke fun at. And... And yet people saw that as, as a racist tweet and began to just unload on her online. So she tweets that out, and she gets on an 11-hour flight from London to South Africa. And in those 11 hours, she becomes the number one worldwide Twitter uh, topic. Right, 170 followers, now the number one item on Twitter. And people just begin relentlessly shaming her, calling on her to get fired, calling uh, on how awful of a person that she is, mocking her. Someone went to the, the South Africa... Uh, airport to take a picture of her getting off the flight. And she has, no, she has no idea any of this is happening in these 11 hours. Right? And she gets off the phone, and she turns it on, and there's a text from her from him, call me right away. And she, she, I believe she has her job back now, but she lost her job, was worldwide chain. And there's, there's a book uh, by a man named John Ronson who sort of who, who's reflected on this, this weird thing we have in social media to, like, shame people when they do something that kind of steps out of line. And I sort of have a different read on... Honest than him, his take is like, we're basically good, and this is out of character. I'm like, no, this is, this is human beings, how we act when we have anonymity. And this is how, when someone steps out of line, what we think is right, we're, we have no problem trying to force them out of society, make them pay to shame them. And this, like, this is obviously everything blowed up, but anytime you sit across from someone and say, like, I'm sorry, they now have the goods to shame you. Which is what makes this moment with Jacob so powerful, because that is not what God does to him. God doesn't say, how dare you? Yeah, you're, you are Jacob. No, actually, what God, this is how God responds. Um, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Which is just such a powerful moment. So God doesn't shame him. So that's why, right, repentance is hard, because... Will people shame, like will, will I just be shamed for that? The other is I like I don't want to be defined by the by my worst moments. And when Jacob says I'm Jacob, right? He's naming all the worst moments of his life. 
He's going back to the hurt of that moment, the father who did not bless him and did not love him, to the, his stealing, his thieving, all the things that ruined his life. God's saying, let's go back there. Let's name that. And then what God does is he doesn't say, that's right. No, he, he gives him a new name, which is a new identity. He's, you're not Jacob anymore. I don't know you as Jacob. I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore. Now you're Israel. Let God rule. You know, I'm not, you, I will never call you Jacob again. You're Israel. You have a new story, a new reality confronting you. And, and it's not just a new name. He actually says, you've striven with God and prevailed. Which, like, I don't know if this is meant to be this way, but I sort of, like, laugh at that because it's not true. Right? Like, God could have crushed him. He didn't. And yet God's like, you are such a good fighter. You, t- you tied me. And you just, like, you just see this, this reality of God going out of his way to wipe Jacob's past out. Not by ignoring it, right? Jacob had to name it. Like, you can't, like, when we sin, like, that's why the step one is repentance, right? That has to be meaningful. And yet God says, we, that is not your reality anymore. You have a new one. And so that, that's the name, right? Jacob is no longer Jacob. Now he's Israel. He's let God rule. But it, all, it does not come because Jacob is impressive or smart or he gets all of his stuff together and God's like, you know what? I can work with it. No, Jacob only gets that moment through confession, through vulnerability, through weakness, through grabbing on for dear life. And if, if, you are, if you're not a person of confession and repentance, if you can't own your own stuff with other people, you'll, ne- you'll never encounter God like this. Because he does not encounter people with security systems and big fences to keep people. He only encounters people who are willing to open up their doors to let others in and speak whatever may be said so that we grow closer and closer to, to God. So that's the name. Fourth, where this story ends, though, is the blessing. All right, so God gives Jacob a new name. And I, I, I want to pause in that for and just apply that to us as a church community. That, like one thing that means for us as a church community is, and churches do this, is why I'm saying this, is the church should not be a place of shaming sinners. And Paul says this in the New Testament. When, he, when he's reflecting on our salvation and what we have in Jesus, he writes this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't call anyone Jacob here. We don't point it, well, this, is what you, this is who you are, this is what you did. No, we, no. There, no one is regarded according to the flesh. For if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is saying that we regard one another in Christ as new creations, which should open the possibility up of repentance, right? It's like, I don't have to own, I I shouldn't be afraid of owning my past or the things that I do wrong because I know that's not who I'm going to be in the future. And I can own it knowing in this community, there's not going to be shame attached to that. There's no, you're, you're, you're in Christ now. You're not that, you're in Christ. And yes, you have to name this, but you're in in Christ. So as a community, right, we're not, we should not be a place of shame, but where we, got, we regard one another as new creations in Christ. That's one side of it, but the other side is the blessing, is what happens at the end of the story. So God says, you're not Jacob anymore. I'm calling you Israel, right? And then, uh, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. Right? He's like, I had to own my name with you. What's your name? Which is a way of saying, God, reveal yourself to me. Moses has a similar moment with God where he says, who, who is it that I'm speaking to? Jesus says, please tell me your name. But God said, why is it that you ask me my name? In other words, Jacob, you already know who I am. I'm the God of, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of your father, Isaac. And there God blessed him. And I admit, like this blessing, like when I say blessing, it probably doesn't land with anybody in this room. 
because it's, you know, it's an antiquated word, but essentially what bl- a blessing is, and we're actually going to do this with our kids later um, on our way out as a way of, of starting school, a blessing is, is speaking a good word over someone. In particular, what it is here is it's, it's someone saying of another person, I delight in you, I love you, you're good, you're beautiful, you're wonderful. And that's what Jacob has been looking for his entire life. Right? His father did not love him. Like his father did not treat him well. And Jacob, he wanted the blessing so badly, he was even willing to get up, dress up like Esau to get it. And it, he got it in a way, but it didn't work. Right? And now he's got all kinds of money. He's had career success. He's got all the family he wants. And none of those blessings have ever brought him the meaning, significance, value. And now here he is in this moment. He's going to die if he doesn't let go. And yet he recognizes without the blessing of God, without God speaking over him, a good word, a blood, like, I love you, you're my son, I delight in you. Jacob's like, I'm, gonna, I'm dead without it anyway. And if that's not a good definition, I think the best, the best image I have, and I, I know that I'm going to lose this someday, but I'm never going to forget it. Um, I'm in the stage with our, our five-month-old, Eden, where when she sees me, she just smiles. Right? I, don't, I don't remember my son's doing it, maybe it's like a daughter, I don't know. But I, just, I look at her, and when she realizes it's me, right, she makes out, oh, there's that weird bearded thing that, like, is always smiling at me. She smiles back at me, because I, I, I think what's happening in that moment, at least what I'm reading into that moment, is she sees in someone else, like, oh, I, I delight in you. You're my daughter. I love you. You're so special to me. And that is what God is speaking over Jacob in this, in this moment. Right, and we all want that. We want that. That's what we try to get it from our workplace. We try to get it from a romantic partner. We try to get it from our family, from our parents, from our kids. We're all like Jacob trying to get the blessing. And so how do we get it? Right, I mean, so God's not going to attack us in a camp. Maybe he will. I don't know. Uh, how do we get it? And the first, it's not by trying to be someone we're not, right? It has to start with saying, I'm Jacob. I don't deserve it. I'm not... I haven't earned it, right? We can't, like Jacob, dress up like a, something else and get before God and say, bless. No, we have to come in vulnerable, open, tear down the security system, let everyone, let everyone in. That's the only way you get it. It's meeting God like this. You have to tear out your security system. And even that's not enough, right? Because you can do all that, and how can you know God will respond favorably? Right? How can we know God will respond to my own vulnerability, my own weakness, my own I am Jacob moment by saying, I delight in you, I love you, my son, how do we know that? Because listen, this encounter with Jacob, it is on offer to every person this morning. The way we get the blessing is because on the, on the cross, as Jesus is wrestling with the Father, he prays out a psalm, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus in that moment, he's losing the blessing. He's losing his Father's I delight over you because he's taking on all of the Jacobs, right? He's taking on everything that's wrong with us, everything broken in us. He takes it on the cross, right? He takes our shame on the cross so that in his resurrection, he can offer us the blessing. So that the blessing that you and I seek from, it's not based on how good of a person you are. It's not based on your own effort or your own work. It is based on Jesus' death and work and resurrection for you, which is why Paul writes in Ephesians 1 that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, not blessed through our, we are blessed in Christ because he took on the Jacob in us on the cross so that we could have his blessing. So that God could look at every person and say, if you're in Christ, God's posture towards you is, I delight in you. I, you are lovely to me. You are my son. You are my daughter. You have a new identity. You have a new story. You, have, you are a new creation. That old, I don't regard you as Jacob anymore. You're Israel. 
So let God, let him knock you down and wrestle with him all night. Hold on and lose. And let him give you a new name. He's forgotten your old name. And let him in that space bless you.